0: after Jesus was baptized and then tested in the wilderness, it was time to begin his ministry. And he did so by preaching the gospel and calling disciples. Let's join Pastor Ross now with a message entitled, Come Follow Me. We're going to get started again, back to Mark chapter 1. Let's ask the Lord for his blessing. Now Heavenly Father, we ask you, Lord, to open the eyes of our understanding. Help us to know that you're here with a purpose to bless us, to correct our thinking, to comfort us, to instruct us in the way that we might be blessed and be encouraged in our faith. So we we commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, lots of things we look forward to in our life. And as we're young, some of those things seem so far off in The future, so far away, and it's so cool when that day finally comes. The time has come, and we get to enjoy that thing. For example, driving a car. Man, I just counted the days since I think I was 10 years old until my 16th birthday back in Massachusetts. You had to be 16 back when the dinosaurs roamed the earth. (laughs) On my birthday at 9 a.m., there I was in line, ready. And then counting up 16 and a half years, you can, uh, you could get your driver's license. And man, I was standing there on that day. And it's just so nice. Graduating from high school, though, it just seemed so far away. Getting your first real job your first paycheck, uh, turning 21, your last big birthday before you become old. <laughs> Heading off to college, be on your own, uh, buying your first car or your first house, that may be further off than you think if you live in Sonoma County, anyway, the house part. Falling in love and getting married, and then you know wanting to be a dad or a mom, watching your children have children, or, getting uh, life together uh, so that you could not have a care in the world, at least for a short time. (laughs) You know, those things, it's just really great joy when the time has come. And there you have that thing, that long-anticipated event has uh, arrived. And so I'm thinking it's not just human beings that have that Uh, emotion of joy and satisfaction, uh, when what we've been dreaming about and thinking about and planning is finally coming to pass. And I started thinking, I wonder if that's true with the Lord, if there are certain seasons in his appointed history that he takes more pleasure in when that day arrives. And so uh, let's pick up where we left off in chapter one. After John was put in prison, John the Baptist, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God is near, repent and believe the good news. And so we're often running with Jesus' ministry now here in the opening chapter of Mark's Gospel And Mark wants us to know the debut of Jesus' ministry really will involve three awesome and very telling incidents. Uh, The first one is that Jesus announces the good news, and you have that text already, verses 14 and 15, right in front of you. The second point is going to be that Jesus begins recruiting followers, and that's found in verses 16 through 20. And then thirdly, Jesus will begin to destroy the work of the evil one. And so really, in a nutshell, uh, these are not chronological events in Jesus' life and ministry, but they are put there in this specific order to teach us something. And it teaches us really the purpose of why God intervened in human history. He came to give us good news And not only just to save us, but to recruit us to help him in his mission to save the world. And then to destroy the work of the evil one, who really was the cause of the whole problem to begin with. And so these three incidents, the first one is already before us. Jesus came to preach the good news. So starting out here, it's just amazing. We have sort of. A press conference of sorts. I mean, God is in a human body, according to Colossians chapter 2 and verse 9, the fullness of divinity in bodily form, right? And so, in fact, uh, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3 says, Jesus is the exact representative of God, representation of the Lord and the radiance of his glory. And so he will go on to say later that he and the father are one. And when people want to see the father, he says, have I been with you so long and still you don't recognize me? So we have the good news of God, not about God. Not from a spokesman, a human spokesman. A, a, the God man who claimed in John chapter 6 to have come down from heaven to bring salvation. And so here he is with his press conference, right? And he says, the time has come. I want to see the video of the look on his face and the tone in his voice when he said, after 4,000 years of human history, and really, eternity passed. you know, when the Bible talks about God saving us and coming to set us free and, and uh, to, do, uh, to reconcile the world to himself, uh, to rescue us, it uses the phrases like before the creation of the world. So we know that 4,000 earth years <laughs> had passed since the Garden of Eden and Bethlehem. And then to Jesus appearing and saying, the time has come. But in eternity past, wow, this is all scheming and planning of God. And now he's standing there and saying, here it is. Here I am. And I have some good news. God loves you. God is here to save you. Your sins can be forgiven. You can have eternal life. You don't need to be afraid of death or dying or the grave or condemnation or shame Or feeling alone or desperate. I'm here. The time has come. And so, you know, I know for the Lord, um, time passes differently for somebody who's outside of time as theologians. Uh, Say, But I really think that there are certain times as history unfolds that the Lord is just more filled with joy than others. And I think this is a moment when he stands in his body and says, here I am. Don't be afraid, little flock. Don't be afraid anymore. I'm here. It's sort of a a moment like, you know, kind of like the fireman, the ambulance, the defense attorney, the police roll up on the scene as the Navy SEALs parachute down, all wrapped up in one (laughs) announcement. God is here and he's for us and he loves us and he's going to go to the cross and make it all better. And you won't have to climb a ladder to get to heaven. He will bring the ladder down and he will descend to become one of us and then he'll go through (laughs) your death and my death and pay our penalty. So he says, here I I am. The time has come. What joy must have filled uh, the Savior's heart. Uh, What kind of claims, you know, for somebody will say, and they love to say this, uh, you know, he's a, he was, what do you think of Jesus? They'll say, he was a good man. He was a good moral teacher. Uh, The answer to that is, uh, can I show you what he said? Why aren't you obeying it? If, If he's such a good moral teacher and he's a good moral example, he can't just be a mere man. He said, whoever believes in me will never die. I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Wherever two or three gather together in my name, there I am in the middle of it all. Whoever believes in me shall never hunger, never thirst. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. A mere man cannot say these things. Here's what C.S. Lewis said about Jesus' claims. He said... A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he is a poached egg. (laughs) Now that's crazy, all right? (laughs) That's just so random. That's so funny to me. Or he would be the devil himself. I mean, you would. You must take your choice. You must make a choice. Either this was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can categorize him as a fool or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left That option opened to us. And so the God-man stands there. He says, the time has come. The kingdom of God is near because the king of kings is near. And with him, the kingdom. And it all comes together. He says, this light and life and truth and rescue and salvation and God's love. By repenting and believing, having a change of heart and putting your trust in the Lord. Those things cannot really be divided. Sometimes in the scriptures, it just says, repent and you'll be saved. Or it'll say, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. And sometimes they're together. And theologians say that really uh, faith and repentance are uh, two faces of the same coin. In that you cannot have faith without repenting and you cannot repent, change your mind and change your heart, and change your life without faith. You see, and so the Lord is giving the key to access all this wonderful thing that that is now in the moment in Christ who has appeared. Now, let's talk about the kingdom of God, because what, what is that mysterious phrase? There are two manifestations of the kingdom of God. The first one begins, it's sort of a new realm of being. It's invisible. It's, it's when you become born again, you enter the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. It happens within our hearts as our sins are forgiven and there's new life and we pass from death into life and we, we, we are born from above, as the scriptures say. And so this invisible church on the earth, we've entered it. And Jesus said to the Pharisees and the Jews who were expecting the kingdom of God to come in a visible way, the way the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures uh, prophes- prophesied that will happen, will come. But they, they were going to miss the first coming. So Jesus said things like, he said, the kingdom of God can't be detected by visible signs you won't be able to say, here it is, or it's over there, for the kingdom of God is already among you. Now, so he's telling them about this invisible manifestation of the kingdom of God that first has to start in your own heart, invisibly, if you are going to see the physical, literal, visible manifestation of the kingdom of God come as the Bible says it will. Now, in the very same chapter as Jesus saying that it's invisible, the kingdom of God is within you. In the very same chapter, he talks about the Son of God appearing with great glory in the clouds of heaven, and every eye shall see. And so we know that it comes first invisibly, and it will one day have a physical, visible manifestation. Uh, Jesus talks all about it in the Bible. The lion will lay down. with the lamb and on a renewed earth that he describes so well. No more war, a place where only goodness dwells. There's a throne there that you can see and there's a visible Lord Jesus upon that throne and he is reigning and ruling and every eye shall see. You see, so it's both. It comes, we're in the invisible (laughs) uh, realm of the kingdom of God manifestation now. But someday, very soon, he says, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, we will see. And then the rapture of the church, Armageddon happens. There's seven years of tribulation on the earth. And then he appears with great glory. And he comes and he establishes, a thy kingdom come. <laughs> That's the physical manifestation of the king of kings, Lord of lords, sitting on a real throne in Jerusalem on a renewed planet, reigning and ruling, and we his people with him. And so when he says, here I am, the time is here, the kingdom is near you. Everything is near the one who's near God, and the way to get near God is through faith and a change of heart. And most people who are sitting here listening to this message have already undergone that. And so all of what God is... And has for us is near to us by changing our hearts and putting our trust in him. So Jesus has begun. He's got some good news. I'm here. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to save you if you put your trust in me. Whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So the good news has come. Now he's going to gather helpers. He's going to recruit followers to assist him with his mission. Check this out. So as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I'll make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets without delay. He called them, look at that, without delay on his part as well. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. And so we have the Lord beginning his ministry by recruiting followers. Get this because it's so important. You know, It doesn't end with us coming to know the Lord. With the call comes a commission to every believer. We are saved to help save. Uh, We are enlightened to enlighten. If we're blessed, it's so that we can share that blessing with others. That's how God works. He never just, just saves somebody and puts a period there. He saves and says, hey, come along with me. You're part of the team now. Come and help me. We're called co-laborers with Christ. That's who you are. Whether you are laboring with him or not, if you're saved, he's he's thinking of you as a co-laborer, helping him with the ministry that he started and is still uh, ministering on the face of the planet, seeking and saving the lost. And he says, how about it? Come and help me And, and hear the promise. I'll make you good at it. I'll make you good at it. You've got to come along and help me in this mission. So this call in verse 17, I want you to notice a few things about it. Uh, first of all, um, the call of God comes to men and women, boys and girls, in the middle of everyday life. He doesn't make an appointment. He just shows up. I mean, once in a while you have a funny feeling, whoa, you're getting close to something. But usually it's just like, here I am, come follow me. And he puts all the dots together, he connects them, helps you connect them, help you feel your conviction of sin and your need for the gospel. And bam, when when that moment came for you, it was it was a now or never moment, and you said, yes. He said, come. And there was no turning right or left or dragging your heels or making excuses. The call of God comes without delay. It's just like right there. Why? Because your soul depends on hearing the call and answering immediately. That is the takeaway of this text. He came to call. And he just comes in when they're working. You know, here are these four guys working. They're fishermen. Uh, You've got um, uh, Matthew heard the call when he was at work, you know, counting out his shekels. There's a tax collector, the jailer in Philippi, right? He was at work. Uh, God likes to do that. He shows up. Uh, Zacchaeus, where was he? He was up a tree. He was just in the crowd, just kind of looking around, just thinking, wow, this is cool. And the Lord just, bam, a call. Hey, Zacchaeus. I'm calling you. I'm coming to your house today. And that day he opened his heart to the Lord. He just finds us wherever we are. You know my story. I was in a disco. I was in a disco. <laughs> I was 19 years old. You know the story with my brother. And I had a kind of an audio vision of the Lord talking to me. And I got saved outside of a bar. He just, you know, he just comes in, doesn't pay the cover charge, just comes in. Yeah. <laughs> And just just starts talking to people. You know, my brother's reduced to tears outside. And I'm crying. And we don't even, there's not even a Christian talking to us. He's calling. And it was kind of like, come now. And it was like, yes. And that's how we all uh, come in. I mean, everybody, he just barges in, you know. Uh, The lame man in John chapter 5, what was he doing? He's sunbathing by a pool. Right. And the Lord's like, hey, you, you want to get better? You know, he starts talking to you. He's sunbathing. He's not looking for the Lord. He's collecting, you know, money from people passing by and all of this stuff. Mary Magdalene, where was she? She's just wrecking people's lives. You know, she's doing her thing, you know, Uh, and the Lord's uh, blind guy begging on the streets. How about weddings and funerals? The wedding at Cana, people came to know Christ. And they do today. They won't go to church. They'll go to a wedding, hear the gospel. You were going to meet people in heaven who said, I never went to church, but I went to a wedding. I heard the gospel and I got saved. Or just like back in at Cana, right? Or a memorial service or a funeral. I never went to church. I didn't know any Christians. Somebody at work died. I went to the funeral. The guy preached the gospel. I got saved. Just like back in the day. At Jesus, uh, when Jesus was ministering at funerals, you know, it was pretty exciting because uh, they got up and talked. So uh, you, will, you, will, you will meet people in heaven, right, who were at the Lazarus Memorial Service and said, that's all I needed. When that, when that guy came out like that, I'm like, I'm saved. <laughs> Jesus is Lord, you know. So he just comes in at ordinary spots in life. So that's how it is. And notice the authority that he has. He just speaks, you know, with such authority. Come now, follow me. You know, no, no long explanations, nothing. He just shows up and says, hey, now, you, me life decide change your heart trust me and the soul knows he speaks our language because he knit us together in our mother's womb and and notice with me this call notice who's seeking whom you know, we always think, yeah, I found the Lord, and I was searching, and then I found him. Oh, come on. <laughs> the, Bi- <laughs> the Bible says, Jesus says, come on, no one can come to me except the Father draws him. And then he says, by the way, John chapter 15, verse 16, you didn't choose me. I chose you. This is love, not that we first loved God, but uh, that he first loved us. He's the initiator. His kindness leads us to repentance. Romans chapter 2 and verse 4. He's the pursuer. He's the hand of heaven. We go straight off the cliff without his mercy and his intervention. And so that should make everybody just feel so much better to know this is on him. This was his idea that you're sitting here and saved and know him. This wasn't your idea. Your idea was to perish. That's your idea was to turn left and keep going right straight off the cliff. And Jesus got in your way and said, hey, hey, stop. It's me. Come follow me. And for some reason, he enabled you. He helped you. Yes, somewhere in that, you exercise free will. And thank God for that. But you didn't do it without his help. And so his call comes. He just sees these four guys and boom. Now, the authority, the pursuit, and the the immediate obedience. Of course he demands that. Of course he demands that. Anything else, if God is talking... Anything else dragging your feet, making an excuse, procrastinating, whatever—it's it, an insult. It's insubordination to the God who made the universe and made you, and bled and died for you, to put to have a place for you in heaven. And it's dangerous. Of course, He expects you. If God makes known His will to your soul, to your mind, He expects <laughs> chop, chop now, right? <laughs> Because your soul dangles over the precipice of eternal loss. I, I mean, I, I can't even think about had I died before coming to know Christ. There, there's, there's no, I mean, the cord is cut, boom. You realize the first three seconds, whoops, I died, and without Christ. And there's nothing you can do about it Forever. That's why Jesus says, if you hear my voice today, oh, don't harden your heart. <laughs> There's a lot on the line. That's not because God's some kind of bully coming in. Hey, you, follow me, or else. Well, now he's saying, hey, you don't perish. Oh, don't put it off. Why would you put this off a second? One second with that threat over your head is too many seconds, Amen. <laughs> All right, I need a little bit more response out of you. I'm just telling you, I need to turn up the volume. Just a little bit. Okay, thank you. All right, when God knocks, open the door. This is what he's saying. Now listen, uh, the job is good. You gotta have a job. But it can't be in front of Jesus, right? Your family, the Lord says, honor your father and mother. But it can't get in the way of the call of God. A nice Jewish young man came to faith a couple churches, church buildings ago. And uh, he came up to me and he said, oh, well, I was coming, I was bringing my Hebrew Bible and everything you were saying is exactly the same in my Jewish Hebrew Bible. And I said, what do you know? <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. And so after a few months there at the O'Reilly building, uh, someone gave him a, a book about a Jew who came to faith. And by the way, I also was Jewish and am Jewish still to this day. <laughs> I just said, was Jewish. Huh? Yeah. So I, I shared with him a little bit of that. And he said, "He said, uh, I can never tell my parents. I became a Christian, by the way. I, I, I'm fully saved. I know the Lord. He said, but I can never tell my mom and dad. Oh, no, nobody knows. Nobody knows in my family. I said, oh, it doesn't work that way. You see, family's good and to be honored. And you're supposed to honor Zebedee, right? And by the way, they didn't just walk out of the boat and leave him hanging there. You know why? John chapter one says, these four boys have already met the Lord. They've met the Lord. Andrew was at the baptism, John's baptism there. When John was baptizing, Andrew was there and heard him say, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Andrew, John chapter one, Andrew heard John the Baptist say that, point to Jesus, and ran off and got Simon Peter, his brother, and hauled Simon Peter over to Simon at that t- point in time, to the Lord Jesus, and he met, and, and, and they're asking questions. He says, listen, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make you Mr. Stability. I'm gonna change your name to Peter. So, and, and they spent the night there, and they, they started following a little bit and hearing, but then there was some time to think. There was some time to talk to Zebedee. Hey, we're thinking about this. We're thinking about that. We have some plans here, right? But then Jesus came on that day, and it was the day. And they looked at Zebedee, and Zebedee looked at him. There was a thumbs up, because they'd been talking and honoring their father but never ever can you say never ever can you say the call of god comes and you say well let me first there in Luke chapter 9 there are great examples of this and they sound so shocking let me remind you about this call and this immediate response he says there's one guy says to jesus in the middle of a crowd i will follow you anywhere And Jesus says, oh, just so you know, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of God has no place to lay his head. So the Lord just sees right through us. You know, the the, 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 the heart gets stirred up. I will follow you to the ends of the earth. And so he said, just so you know, we don't have hotel reservations tonight. And, you know, uh, I don't know what's in the food sack here with, uh, you know, the guys. And just are, are you aware of what you're getting yourself into, that there's hardship with the good news as well? Because when he announced the good news, it first said after John had been thrown into prison, then he's announcing good news. Well, apparently not everybody sees it as good news. And some people take offense. And there's some trouble along the way for those who embrace and believe and repent and have this good news. And so, uh, you know, so that's what's up with that. Secondly, there was another example. He said, the Lord says to this guy, follow me. But he replied, Lord, let me first. Do you hear that? Me first, Uh, go and bury my father. Jesus said, let the dead bury their own dead. You go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Now, what is Jesus saying? First of all, in Israel, when you die, the body goes in the grave that day. He was saying, listen, I am, you know, the firstborn son. Let my father die. When my father dies, I'll take care of my family obligations. Let me first, you know. Jesus is saying, listen, no, 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 no. The call of God is not coming to your family right now. It's coming to you. So you have a responsibility to open your heart, repent and believe now, so that maybe perhaps when your father does die, he will die in faith because you received and proclaimed the gospel, you see? You can never say, God. God's like, now, you, come, do. Okay, I will, I will. As soon as I, God says, oh, no, 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 no. How do you even know? The seed got sown, it's sitting right there. You're supposed to take it, right? How do The birds of the air come and take the seed away. How do you know you'll ever be tender or hear the same voice again? The Lord is like, now. The third and final illustration of this great call and this need for an immediate response. Till another one said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus says, no one who puts his hand to the plow looks and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God it's kind of like he the Lord can see a fib a mile away all right so he's saying listen you you know you know let me go home and just say goodbye yeah you're gonna go home your dad's gonna say what kind of son are you how did I raise you? You know, I didn't raise you to go off with some carpenter who thinks he's God. You, you, you know, that kind of thing. We have a friend who, who was talking to her father, a Japanese girl. We met in Japan. She came to visit. Anyway, when we were in Japan, she told her father that she was getting baptized. She had come to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he smashed every bit of furniture in the house. Yeah, you can't go home. All right, okay, God's calling. Hey, put your faith and trust in me. Move now. I'm talking to you. Hey, the moments. It's your moment. First, let me go home to my family. And no, 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 no. There'll be plenty of time for reunions and saying goodbye and hello and bar mitzvahs and whatever else you want to do. But first, take care of the call. When the call is right there. And and ladies and gentlemen listen to me you are christians for a long time most of you it's not just the beginning he speaks to us all the time about important things and he confirms it over and over and over again and he expects the same sort of obedience because our lives will either be blessed or or the trajectory of our lives can be altered when we don't Listen to what he's trying to say. And it won't be some bizarre thing that comes out of nowhere. It'll be confirmed in his word and in in your heart over and over and over again. And he says, act on that. The call comes and there's an immediate response. And that's what his coming's all about. Amen. Lastly... We have him serving notice on his enemy, which is, of course, the reason he came. Now, here's a little disquieting incident that makes us all a little bit uneasy. They went to Capernaum, his hometown. Jesus made that his kind of uh, place where he operated from. And when the Sabbath came, that's Saturday, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law, means the Hebrew Bible. Just then, while Jesus is teaching in a church setting, okay, just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were also amazed, yeah, <laughs> I guess, that they asked each other, What is this? A new teaching. And with authority, he even gives orders to evil spirits, and they obey him. News about him spread quickly <laughs> over the whole region of Galilee. Yeah, I would think so there. So you get the picture. This is the gospel. This is the point of the son of God coming to earth to announce good news. You can be safe. I'm recruiting helpers. Come help me. I'll make you good at it. Right. You'll be fishers of men. You'll be capturing men's hearts and women's hearts for, for heaven. You'll be capturing them with me. And thirdly, here you go. He came to destroy the cause of the problem in the first place, the work of the enemy. And so, and this makes a lot of sense because after all, it was the, uh, the devil who brought the original deception and temptation and the sin that entered the world and death with sin and all of creation went Inside out and upside down. God promised at the scene of that crime in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15 that he would destroy, eventually conquer and crush the head of his enemy, who he was speaking to. He said that the conqueror would come and do just that. Listen, it's what he came to do to save us by destroying the work of the devil. Well, the work of the devil, you know, in order to save us, he had to unplug the power of the one who held the power over us as sinners. Sin, death, condemnation, judgment, all of that is because of sin. So if Jesus comes and says, time has come, here I am. I'm going to be the sin bearer, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. If there are no more sins because he paid for them all, then what power does the devil have anymore? Because with sins, the wages of sin is death, right? So if there's no more sin, and there isn't because he paid for it all, and that's a, that needs a little bit of explanation. But this Is what he's saying. He paid for the sins. Therefore, the devil has no more power. We don't have to die. We don't have to be under the control of sin because now we have the Holy Spirit cleansed of our sins, forgiven. Now, he's still doing the same thing he tried to do back in the garden. The God of this age has blinded, 2 Corinthians 4. Uh, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel That displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, and so be saved. And so this is the work, this is why it's third in the lineup that Jesus came to sort of serve. Notice, here I am, your days are numbered, and I'm going to slowly and gradually unravel your kingdom and the damage you have done to humanity and the curse you brought, I'm going to reverse Demons and demon possession. A little uh, quick uh, teaching on angiology or demonology. All right, demons are actually fallen angels. So, in the beginning, God made countless numbers of angels. Apparently, one of the head angels was called Lucifer, he was beautiful. His name means light bearer. And something went really wrong in eternity past. I don't think any of us fully understand. There are some hints here and there. Ezekiel 28 and Isaiah 14. Ezekiel 28 says this about Lucifer. He became corrupted by his great beauty. In other words, he fell in love with himself. And then Isaiah 14 has the five-eye wills. Lucifer is seen saying... I will uh, climb above the throne of God. I will put my throne above God's throne. And then God cast him down into a place called Eden where he did his damage. And so demons, uh, apparently, the Bible says, in great spectacular imagery in Revelation, it shows, Revelation chapter 12 shows this dragon who represents the devil and his tail, Sweeping out of the sky, a third of the stars, which stand for the angels. It says that, what they stand for. And so, however many there were, a third of them drank the Kool Aid and went with <laughs> Lucifer, who became Satan in the Hebrew, who became Lucifer, becomes Satan, which is adversary or enemy. And so, Jesus said, and Long story short, it says, Jesus, the son of God, came to destroy the works of the devil. So let's go to our text here in, in verses 21 and 22. He's already in a synagogue. A synagogue, the, the name means gathering. And you had to have two Jewish men older than 12. And you could have a little gathering uh, where there was no sacrifice, just worship. The teaching and reading of the scriptures, a little lesson, a little prayer. Uh, There there were no priests there. They were called elders and the rabbis would teach. And so this happened after the temple was destroyed and synagogues started popping up. So Jesus, as was his custom, went to church. It was like going to church. It's very much how church is structured today, really with an eye toward the synagogue, what happened in synagogue. So You know, first of all, there's this thing about his uh, amazing authority. So as we wrap up here, listen, Jesus is speaking with such astonishing authority. Think about who he is. He's God in a body. So he never has to say the word apparently or, you know, it seems that, you know, or according to this rabbi, he just speaks the truth with such. Can you imagine hearing the voice of God? It's just so powerful. And so, uh, so powerful in that he will quote the Old Testament. He, he'll say things like, you've heard it said, do not commit adultery. Where did they hear that? In the Bible. And then he says, but I say to you, whoever looks at a woman with lust in his heart, you've already done the deed. So he's saying, since I authored the law in the first place. Let me bring this additional understanding so that you understand that technically you can't say, well, I've never committed adultery. Oh, oh no, you've sinned the sin of adultery in the privacy of your own heart. Therefore, you need a savior. And so this is the kind of authority that people were just astonished at, right? Well, if they were astonished with his words, wait until this guy starts to manifest a demon, right? And so... Here's what he does. The demon speaks out and says, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Here's what, what the demon is saying. Look, folks over here. We know who he is. There's more supernatural power than just him. We, we know his name. We know his address. We know where he's from, that kind of thing. And so they're kind of pulling a fast one and saying, look at look at me. Look at us. He's not the only power. And then he says, have you come to destroy us? Look at how tight he is with the person he's possessing. Have you come to destroy us? Right? And no, Jesus did not come to destroy. He came to save. Do you see? So so everybody in the room is like, oh, he's here to destroy. So, oh, no, 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 no. And so he said, have you come to... And we know. I know who you are the Holy One of God alright that's true but why does Jesus say be muzzled in the Greek it's be muzzled it means close it why? Jesus does not need or desire a letter of recommendation from the devil he really <laughs> doesn't need it he's like done alright so and he uh, casts him out now listen folks if you have the Holy Spirit, you're a born-again believer. You cannot be possessed by one of these beings. It's impossible. Jesus does not, like, share a room with the <laughs> devil. Uh, they're, they're not bunk mates. all right? Now, now, you can be oppressed. You can be tripped up. You can be stumbled or influenced. I mean, if, if that's the way the Christian life you're going to lead, and sometimes you're not even asking for it, And there's problems. This kind of manifestation, I've only seen outside of America. I've never seen it in four decades of being a Christian. Maybe you have. Scholars say that something happened when Jesus went to the cross, rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, took his seat there, and sent the Holy Spirit. That sort of changed the dynamic of demons and possessing. However, that said, I believe and we know that they still are doing their work and they still can possess. And I've, I've seen it. I've seen it happen. Poor Jim Semish was preaching a sermon and somebody manifested in India. I was sitting in the front row and somebody just manifested in a way that really had the, the sense of it being a real deal. Well, they bow down to the most grotesque images and do the most crazy mm. chanting and all kinds of opening their hearts to all kinds of malevolent things and they and they know what they're doing. And so there's no need to be afraid of it. And it does make us uncomfortable to talk about it. You know, demons are probably possessing in Western civilization, they know they've been outed, so they go kind of in the angel of light mode, you see. And so nobody really sees it in the West as demon possession, but there it is as an angel of light. And I would think I don't want to nail Hollywood again, but you know... (laughs) That kind of thing that has the whole world gaga. And, and I use that term loosely. <laughs> gaga. <laughs> Whoops, a Freudian slip. And, 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 and everybody following in this kind of under this spell. Perhaps, who knows? I think only God knows for sure. But one thing we do know is, is that this was Like, and I close with this illustration. This was the Lord sending a message to his enemy Your days are numbered. I'm here. The time is now. It's happening. And what it reminds me of is The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And C.S. Lewis caught this gradual uh, unraveling of Satan's kingdom by the Son of God. In the story, The Lion, Witch, and Wardrobe, it was always winter and never crispus. it's just frozen, solid, just snowed out, and just a miserable place, right? But Aslan is said to be on the move, right? So what you notice in C.S. Lewis caught this, a gradual thawing out as Aslan was doing his thing, getting things ready, Time was going on, and suddenly, what was happening? Lucy takes off her coat. Whoa, it's hot. Yeah, you know, I'm getting warm. How can you get warm in Narnia, right? Well, it's warming up gradually. They have to take off their their winter clothes. Suddenly, it was never Christmas, right? They see Father Christmas passing out gifts. It's like, what's happening? It's getting warmer. Father Christmas, hey, we're not supposed to. This is Narnia, where it's always winter, and never Christmas. What's he doing here, right? And then the sled gets stuck. What's happening? Well, the snow is melting. And then they see what's going on with the trees. Little buds, right? This is the gradual one guy in this little town in the middle of nowhere in a little village with a demon that manifests and the Lord says shut up get out the time has come for your undoing leave and he's going to go to the cross and finish the work that slowly progresses through the gospel I think it's the same way today the signs are showing the evil one that everything, all the prophetic things, that the signs in, that are Matthew 24 are all in place and he knows his time is short and he sees the gradual unraveling invisibly of his kingdom. As Aslan went to the stone table and took a dagger in his heart when he traded his life for, for the traitor Edmund, Her power was broken and he prevailed. The same thing happens with Christ going to the cross. The very thing, the demons were fanning the flames there, crucify him, crucify him. Yes, the son of God, torture him, right? And the boomerang went out and it came back and it destroyed the evil one for good because he died for the sins of the world. No more sins No more death, no more judgment, no more power to trip us up, right? So his power has been broken. And so it's just evidenced right there. So three things in closing then. Jesus' debut of his ministry begins with preaching the good news of God. I'm here. The time has come. It's going to be okay. Repent and believe. Your soul is safe. Your soul is safe. Secondly, he begins his ministry by recruiting followers who will help him in his mission to capture hearts for heaven. And thirdly, Jesus begins his ministry by serving notice on his adversary to say, get out, your days are numbered. Your power is gone. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great love. We thank you for what we've learned and just are in awe of how much you love us, your mercy, your grace. We thank you so much for this unmerited favor that you have for us, Lord, that you just stretch out your arms and say, whosoever will, come. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. We thank you for those great and precious promises, Lord, and we gladly take you up on the offer. In Jesus' name, amen. A word for with those of you who may not know the Lord. You've heard the gospel. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. If you're still on the fence and you've heard, your heart is kind of strangely warmed and that tugging is there, today's the day for you. Respond. I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. If you want to be just included in the closing prayer, because you, you don't want another second, another delay, any procrastination on your part that would imperil your own soul and your own eternal well-being. And you say, today's my day. I have never received Christ. I want to say the sinner's prayer. I want to become a Christian. I want to get right with the Lord. I hear him talking to me, and I'm going to answer immediately by raising my hand. If that's you, just raise your hand up, and I'll, we'll say the prayer together. Praise the Lord. I think I see somebody responding. And so let's say that what we call the sinner's prayer together. Dear Heavenly Father, I'm a sinner. I need you. Come into my life. Forgive me of all my sins. I repent. And I believe. In Jesus, the Son of God. And today, I give my life to you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now, Father God, we just pray that you would go with us now and. Fill our hearts with your joy and your peace that passes understanding. And use us, Lord. Make us good at capturing men's hearts for you, Lord, for heaven's sake. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. God bless you. For what do I have if I don't have you, Jesus? What in this life?